Hello and welcome to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Camuso-Miller. I'm a public affairs professional in Washington, D.C., and I interview members of the media about their background, about how they got into journalism, and lots of other topics. The Friday Reporter is a PR Daily podcast. Check out PR Daily for ideas, inspiration, and trends on all things public affairs and to find the Friday Reporter podcast. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter podcast. This week's guest is a little bit different than the guests before. I have been doing CrossFit for eight years now. And look, it's super important to my mental health and my overall well-being. And I tell you all that because as part of this podcast, I often ask my guests what they did to stay sane. So during the pandemic, my husband and my local gym, Adaptation, lent out equipment, offered virtual workouts, conducted virtual classes, and just about figured how to adapt, if you will, to an otherwise difficult time, thereby keeping us going and also offering a tremendous amount of entertainment to our neighbors as we conducted workouts in our own driveway. Uh, So what makes this week's guest interesting is that he came from a communications and politics background and has now successfully transitioned to building a media enterprise covering the sport of CrossFit. So today is a colliding of worlds for me anyway, in that my career and my personal life are going to intersect today. Justin LaFranco is today's guest, and he is the mastermind behind The Morning Chalk Up. It's a media newsletter, an app, and look, a whole host of breaking news platforms covering the sport of CrossFit. And for those of you who don't know a lot about how the sport works, the, the CrossFit Games is the yearly competition to determine the fittest on earth. And that competition kicks off next week. So this week, Justin graciously offered his time as he's preparing to leave his home in California to cover the 2021 CrossFit Games in Madison, Wisconsin. And the conversation goes great, and it really does uh, take off. The difficulty in this conversation is that sometimes in the very beginning, the audio of the podcast is a little bit shaky. So stick with it, because it's worth it. We get to some really cool stuff about how it is his background in politics led him to a career in building a media empire. Justin LaFranco from Morning Chalk Up, I'm thrilled to have you with me today. How are you? Um, I'm a little bit busy, yeah, uh, I'd I'm say. a little bit behind, yeah. uh, a little over caffeinated, but altogether <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Games week, super exciting. And that's, what's going on next week. So, uh, you know, while we're all kind of running around with our heads cut off, um, I'm still kind of loving it. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, how can you not? How, tell me though. Um, so for the benefit of background, you spent a good bit of your early career working on Capitol Hill and, uh, and tell me a little bit about how you got there and then tell me a little bit about, you know, what you've been doing since. So essentially I was, you know, like all other Capitol Hill, uh, uh, first timers, you know, 22 years old, graduated from college, um, you know, decided that I wanted to work in politics and moved out to DC without a job, worked as a waiter, uh, worked as an intern in, in the uh, House of Representatives uh, with a California congressman, applied everywhere I could, and finally landed a job with uh, the uh, another California member, Daryl Issa, who was then the minority. Uh, the, 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 I call it the, how am I blanking? It's not the chairman, but the uh, 
ranking member. There we go. The ranking member of the house. Where I was like, how, how the... quickly we forget, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, man. Um, but that's, uh, that's kind of how I got my kick, my start. Um, this was, this was, I, I moved there at the end of 2008, um, landed a gig somewhere in the spring of 2009 as a staff assistant in Congressman Ice's office. And mm-hmm. then uh, slowly started moving my way down the communications track. Um, you know, for those who are less aware of, you know, how that, how that works in Congress, usually you're, kind of legislative or your even communications, um, just depending on where your skill set is and interest lies and you kind of start further specializing from there, uh, depending on you know, what office you work in and et cetera. Congress so, for approximately five years, okay. um, which which moved me around to a couple different campaigns, you know, on leave of absence or for Romney in 12, mm-hmm. up to Boston, took a leave uh, from Congress and um, went to the RNC after that. Republican National Committee and um, worked in their digital department. Um, then uh, I was off to Madison, Wisconsin, where I worked for Governor Walker's presidential campaign in 2015. Mm-hmm. Lived there for a better part of nine or ten months. Um, and uh, that was my last game of politics officially. And then I decided to hang up my hat after that, after seven years of, uh, you know, lots of stress and very few vacations. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's so cool, though. So, like, how did you get? How did you get to Madison? I mean, and and that obviously is so. So, going home this week, really, you'll be going back to a place where you spent a bit of time. How did you get up there? Was that just sort of a deployment for um, for the RNC, or did you jump on the campaign? No, direct? I actually jumped. Yeah, I worked for the Republican National Committee during the 2014 midterm election. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was there for like 15, 16 months, which, which for those who are unaware, is actually quite a long time. Uh, yeah. so I was early on in the cycle. Lifetime like in politics. <laughs> uh, uh, through the cycle, worked through the cycle, and then um, got recruited by their campaign to uh, come on full time. So I worked for the governor in his um, sort of exploratory committee phase. Yeah. Getting super deep here. Uh, before, you know, this is pre-testing the waters. Um, and so I worked, worked for his exploratory committee um, and uh, sort of building the digital operation with with my boss and kind of scoping out how we're going to go building the social profiles etc and then getting ready to eventually announce that he was running for president which i think was like july 15th or something so i guess Mm -hmm. uh uh six years ago seven days ago um and so yeah i moved out relocated um took a pay cut to of course presidential but you know, in our circles, you know, there's, a, there's a huge upside swing to going and um, running point on something in a presidential campaign. So obviously, I did it for um, smart career reasons and, and a huge opportunity to go work in a campaign. Um, moved out to Wisconsin, which I turned out to really like. And yeah. then the CrossFit Games moved to Wisconsin. And <laughs> so now it's really it's really nice because I was always very familiar with uh, um, the terrain and, and the landscape. And um, right. they picked a good spot. Oh, I mean, and that's, that's so great. So then here you are. So you're working in DC and you're back and forth. So that what people don't maybe know about uh, CrossFit is that it is a community and you can, uh, you can move from gym to gym provided you've got the right credentials and the right amount of testing and experience. So you could move from one to another. But when you were here in DC, where did you work out? I was at um, District CrossFit. Um, They were originally on New York Ave. um, Mm -hmm. And then they opened a second location down by the um, Nat Stadium. Nice. Um, so sort of now it's it's kind of in between uh, Nat Stadium and the new Audi yeah. um, Stadium for um, DC United. Beautiful down so there now. Yeah. They built a nice like four thousand five thousand square foot facility there, and um, I officially joined their gym in twelve. Mm-hmm. But I was crossfitting originally in the House of Representatives gym 
in, in the uh, sub-basement of Raver and House Office Building. Oh, is that right? And uh, looking like a total dweeb doing burpees in the corner and, uh, <laughs> you know, trying to do Helen on a treadmill and, you know, uh, classic other, just the bastardization of good movement when, you know, you have somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing, just trying to emulate what they're seeing online. And yep. really the only resources that were out there were the various uh, uh, videos that, that CrossFit was putting out on, like, how to effectively do a hot squat or a thruster or something. Um, so I was one of those guys that's just, you know, making a lot of noise in the corner and offending everybody in the gym. Uh, but it was only 15 bucks a month on my government salary. That was about what I could appropriately afford at oh, the yeah. time. Uh, so, but after, after I got off the Romney campaign, I was like, you know what? I really want to do this with professionals and with a community of like-minded individuals that really, you know, have a passion for this. I love CrossFit. So I, Three days later, I was back in D.C., and I immediately walked into District CrossFit and said, hey, uh, I'm ready to do this thing. For real. Going. <laughs> and um, I've been an affiliate CrossFitting ever since. That's awesome. And and you've turned it into this booming career. So, like, let's get into it. Like, tell me tell me how it started. How So you've now, for those of my listeners who maybe don't know enough about Morning Chalk Up, I'm a regular reader, love it, have the app, do all the things. I'm a big proponent of the information that you guys are breaking news every day in the sport and you're doing a great job with a lot of people on your team. But this was just you, Justin, right? I mean, you just sort of yeah. had an idea and you've built this tremendous booming, you know, enterprise. Tell me a little bit about how that looks. So you've got primarily a like a like a, a DC based audience, right? Mm -hmm. Or yeah. like a okay. So they'll get this. And a lot of the podcasts that I've done where I talk about this, I always have to explain. Mm -hmm. I'm the Mike Allen of CrossFit. Yes. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Um, to those who understand that. And so, you know, like most people don't. That's that's the point. I, I built something and I said, look, man, in politics, you are only as powerful as your connections mm -hmm. and, or well, as a reporter, you're only able to tell stories that you're able to make connections on mm -hmm. the, the speed and the tenacity, which Capitol Hill beat reporters work thrives on their access to press secretaries, comms, D's, et cetera. And their ability to you're like Frank Thorpe, you're like, Oh, or Jake Sherman. You're like, how come these guys are like scooping everything so fast? And you're like, well, mm -hmm. that's because they talk to everybody in the Rayburn room. Yep. They know everybody. They have them all on their cell phone connections. And they're like, well, when Mike Allen was transforming the way that the playbook was communicating what mattered in the morning and how to set the tone for the day, I was like, well, that's exact skill set that I've cultivated for the last seven years working in politics. Like yeah. that tenacity, that obsession with ultra hyper communication with everybody that's going on. I said, I can take all that and build it into CrossFit. I'm going to bake, I'm going to build playbook for CrossFit. Mm -hmm. Um, and now it's a little bit closer to like Axios for CrossFit in the sense that we're producing micro stories or, uh, or shorter segment pieces to inform our audience. But the mentality is still the same. Totally. You know, five minutes, seven minutes a day. What do you need to know to start your morning about CrossFit? Mm -hmm. That was the whole intention. And the reason why we thrived in the original environment was that nobody was doing it. Now, still nobody's really doing it except for us, but nobody was doing it. And that's how we got. Um, that's how we grew. We didn't compete against CrossFit's media operation that they had. No, yeah. We didn't compete against the blog environment that existed. We just created a newsletter. Mm -hmm. The newsletter was what we were building. And that's what Playbook was. Playbook could have stood on its own, just like the way NBC First Reads stood on its own, or ABC's The Notes stood on its own when it was getting faxed around. Yep. It wasn't accompanied by a flashy website. It was just this, you know, tip sheet. Mm-hmm. People literally, I, I remember people just 
like walking around with a piece of paper in their hand reading it. You're like, oh, okay. Right. And and you were informed <laughs> that's, for the that's day. Low-fi. You knew exactly what yeah. you needed for the day. It didn't have to be hi fi. It could have been anything, right? I mean Exactly. And that's exactly what you get when you are following and, and playing along with the, the morning chalk up in terms of information. I mean, breaking news just this morning about, you know, a variety of different things. I mean I you guys move fast and you move just at the speed of political communication and it and it feels that way to me. And that's kind of why it was really great for me to be able to connect with you right before the games to get a sense of that. And so for a while it was just you, but now you have this, it seems like you have a a pretty decent sized team of maybe they're contributors and maybe they're freelance, but you've got a whole team of people that are contributing to the content now. Yeah, we do. Um, for years it was just me. Um, I just like Mike, I read the whole thing by myself, Mm -hmm. stream of consciousness and just kind of lay it all on on a canvas and now we you know have expanded to um you know half a dozen plus um our network's probably well it's bigger than that but it's usually about six seven eight continual writers who are writing various pieces Mm -hmm. at various frequencies um the mentality i've always kind of used is um we're going to assemble the smartest people in every room you know, you always talk about this as a press flag. You're like, are you a guy in the room or are you a guy that, that's being told? Totally. Yes, exactly. huge difference. You know, that's something like, I remember I was sitting down with Ari Fleischer years ago and he was kind of like laying that concept out as a very young communicator and came, came back to talk to a Republican communicator, com- communicators and kind of gave him some of his tips about it. And it's like, all right, so if we're going to be the guy in the room and if we're going to be the smartest guy in the room, then we have to talk to all the right people. Mm-hmm. So I assembled a team of people that knew what the heck was going on. And if they didn't know, they knew the person that did. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got guys like Tommy Marquez, who's like extremely well known inside of CrossFit, Absolutely. who, um, you know, got let go in the, in the aftermath of, of CrossFit's exodus. Mm-hmm. You've got Kay Weiss, Invictus, Brian Friend formerly worked as a contractor with CrossFit, you know, at one time we had CrossFit's historian on our staff, you know, and you're just like, we're piecing together the people that know what's up. I former judges, former coaches, former contractors with CrossFit, people that have connections, broadly speaking, all the way across the globe. And mm-hmm. so that's the intention. And I think that any communications operation tries to do that, to try to emulate, to be, to like, to move with speed, precision, with accuracy, you mm-hmm. have to know. Yeah. who you're talking to and who to talk to yeah. when something is moving quickly, you know, and, and that's, and that's, that's the comms world today. So I tried to, to replicate that um, and find people that had unique value mm-hmm. in that area. They may not be the best writer, but they definitely have Intel. Okay. Well, we can work with that. Totally. Yeah. And, and, and it's, and it's obvious to me. I mean, obviously I'm a consumer of your product and I know it and it, and it feels a lot like a model that I'm familiar with because of what we've done um, in our you know, our political past. But, um, you know, a lot of times when I, when I start to get into the conversation about, um, you know, what this past year has been like, this past year has been brutal to, uh, to our community. I mean, on a couple of different levels. And for those people who are just catching up, I mean, for starters, we're talking about the hit that small businesses took, right? So small businesses being CrossFit gyms, these small boxes of, you know, community members who typically go in person to exercise, they took a crushing hit and a terrible blow and, and are now just sort of trying to 
make it happen and come back. I know personally that our gym was awesome about it. They loaned out equipment. We could work out at home. We did all kinds of cool things. Um, but tell me a little bit about how you see that, Justin, and, and how you see that um, in terms of like, you know, how's Washington reacting? Because obviously they're going to help at some point maybe get their act together. Um, so, yeah, 90, so at one point, 96% of all gyms in the United States were closed. Mm-hmm. You know that for sure from the sense that we were tracking individual county by county and state by state closure mandates. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there might have been some gyms that were you know deciding to be open and just kind of thwart the rules. But for the most part, it was fairly um you know, blanketed across the board. So, I mean, 96% of an industry closed. And that's yeah, nuts. That's you huge. Know, you quantify that and say, well, there's 6,000 gyms in America, 96% of them are mandated by their local and or statewide governments to shut their doors and, and seize operations. Mm-hmm. Cripple, crippling effect mm-hmm. of, of a, a sweeping order. So, you know, whether you like it or not, that's what happened. Um, and set gyms back tremendously. I think the community gyms coalition, which is led by CrossFit, uh, corporate, Mm -hmm. um, and it's a coalition of, uh, of other gyms It represents about 15,000 independently owned gyms in America from soul cycles to CrossFit to some other folks. I I, I can't remember. Yeah. It's a mixed Um, bag, but yeah, still a lot of, it's a mixed bag. I think there's some Zumba in there. I think there's, uh, uh, soul cycle and CrossFit that met that, that sort of, uh, encapsulate the majority of mm-hmm. that representation, but mm-hmm. they've been, they produced a uh, survey, uh, came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, gosh, I wish I had the statistic memorized, but, um, they reported a very large amount of gyms who said they are, they are financially, um, they've incurred significant debt as a result of these closures. I believe it. Um, and so when I look at that and I look like, a, a, you know, in order to close that resulted in almost the entirety of the industry closing its doors, um, there are a couple things. One, within crisis, there's opportunity and some gyms have found a way to thrive through that. They found a way to thrive because it forced them to innovate in their own industry, that forced them to find new things, find new services, new ways of making money. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the long-term effect of, of, the, of the closure of COVID in general and digitization of fitness is that it did force gym owners to get out of their old ways a little bit and figure out how to re-innovate their own business. It That's forced a great them point. to act. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that doesn't mean to say they never would have gotten there, but it did force them and said, Hey guys, whether you like it or not, you're going to have to think about it. You're going to have to survive or die. They were forced to, to. survive. You're going to yeah. have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So we are seeing a little bit of that. Number two, we're also seeing rates increase and, to the consumer, rates increasing is bad because now I'm paying more. But to the industry itself, it had to increase. Mm-hmm. Most gyms have been stuck in keeping the same rates for the last four to five years based off our conversations with them. And there are few industries where rates will stay the same for four or five years. Mm-hmm. You pay more for the movies every year. You pay more for Starbucks every year. Yeah. You pay more for your printer paper every year. These things typically go up. And gym owners have been reluctant to do that. But the truth is they probably should have done it a long time ago. And now they're forced to do that because they need to make a little bit more money. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're, you're also seeing as in, in the negative side, which is gyms closed. Yeah. Straight up. Businesses, businesses closed. I mean, um, now, those businesses may have been in a position to close already and then and and covid pushed them over the edge and that closure yeah of course mandated closure pushed them over the edge Mm -hmm. um and it's hard to it's impossible for me to quantify who was in what position and not 
early closures were probably as a result of them already kind of being in a tough spot financially. I get that. And this just kind of sealed the deal. Mm-hmm. Later closures was probably more that they just couldn't wait any longer and, and, and they eventually got put into a position that was untenable. Um, and some got really unlucky. So the industry as a whole, um, the Community Gyms Coalition is advocating for some financial re- directed specific financial relief mm-hmm. related to um, to gyms because there were effectively there were certain stimulus like programs that that were targeted towards other industries. And they're saying, look, yo, other industries like restaurants have been able to operate. You told them they, they couldn't, uh, you know, have have people indoors, but, but they, they could have say they could stop cooking food. That's right. You shut an entire industry down and mm-hmm. then provided no targeted financial relief for them. So that's kind of their argument saying, yeah. look, guys, like you're the ones who told them they couldn't work. And oh, by the way, you bail out a different industry. That's right. You can't bail out one without bailing out another. And for people like me, I mean, if it were not for my CrossFit gym, uh, I may not have made it through the pandemic. So they, my guys totally, they adaptation did a great job in terms of just figuring out how to loan out equipment and do other things. To your point, they, they, right. they adapted, right? They figured it out. Um, but, you know, on top of that now, I mean, there's a really sort of like an elephant in the room about CrossFit itself. My gym is unaffiliated now. They're no longer connected to CrossFit. And a lot of that happened during the pandemic because of some of the misguided and really, frankly, some racist stuff that had been said by Greg Glassman, the original founder of CrossFit. And so the whole the whole industry itself, like the whole brand of CrossFit has had a regeneration during 2020, 2021, because Greg Glassman sold the business. Eric Rosa has now bought the business. He seems to be making like some really good, thoughtful changes as to how to 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 fix what was wrong uh, and to get it right for the for the industry. What are you seeing? What are you what are you hearing from the insider folks feeling encouraged by that change? Yeah, there's there is a lot of there are a lot of changes going on. I think I, I liken this to any kind of, you know, if you want to go political, any shift in the administration, right? right. Or or so-and-so steps down, you know, from this position after, you know, less than savory remarks. Yeah. Um, there's some changes coming in. There's a, a pool of investors behind these changes, and they're going to be looking for a return on investment, return on that those financial dollars that they put into the company. Uh, people don't give away $200 million just for fun. Not, right. Well, not for the most part. Right. Um, <laughs> certainly uh, venture capitalists don't. No. Uh, they wouldn't be venture capitalists anymore if they just did it for fun. But how encouraging so, that they did, though. I mean, that, that means to people like us who, who count on this as like our, you know, n- not just the, the business model that you follow and the things that you're doing and creating every day, but just for kids like me who are just trying to stay fit. Boy, I'm glad to see the investment come in. Yeah, I think there are a lot of people that are. There's going to be two. There's going to be an old guard and a new guard in CrossFit. And the mm-hmm. new guard isn't necessarily new. It's just two different ways of thinking of it. The, Glassman, the original founder who founded CrossFit 21 years ago, um, you know, he had this very laissez-faire, hands-off libertarian mindset about how he was going to build this. He wasn't trying to build a corporation. He was trying to build a fitness revolution. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so what he did is he enabled individuals to open gyms and said, look, man, I ain't going to tell you how to do it. You pay me a little bit of a licensing fee each year to use the mark, and um, you go hog wild, run the business however you want to. I'm not building a corporation. I'm building a revolution. Right. And there's a lot of people that still exist inside of CrossFit that have that bought into that mentality originally, mm-hmm. and that are gonna are gonna that still have that today, and they are still affiliated. Right. Um, now there's a whole bunch of people that open gyms later on, or who open gyms early and change their mindset. 
and they want to, and they want something that's different for CrossFit. And mm-hmm. CrossFit's a massive tent. You know, you could use like, you know, we talk about the Republican Party. We used to describe it as a big tent party. Mm-hmm. You know, we represent a lot of different factions inside of this, and Republicans are a big tent, but we want to support um, a lot of areas for um, people to to create and advocate and argue. And our tenants are relatively broad. You know, we were for limited government, et cetera, et cetera. Right? And got a big tent, and then you can fit a lot of people inside of it. CrossFit's sort of similar in that regard. Over the last fifteen years, it's it's brought on a lot of different folks and a mm-hmm. lot of different ideas. And today, you know, they're not necessarily asking for the corporatization of CrossFit or that it becomes more like franchisees. They're just saying um, the, the, the landscape has changed and we are encouraged by these changes. And we like the fact that CrossFit's getting more involved in these areas, providing more financial opportunity for us, trying to advocate for growing CrossFit in the United States, increasing uh, membership beyond that. I think mm-hmm. they see value in that and they're encouraged by that. Eric Rose has only been the CEO for one year and he came in at a very tumultuous time. So, you know, his priorities were stopping the bleeding early on yeah. and now looking towards expansion now. So I think that we're going to see more expansion related initiatives and ideas that come from his team. You know, he's hired on new people. Jason Dunlop from Nike uh, Europe, uh, who was um, you know, instrumental in going and in, in building out direct consumer marketplaces for Nike. Mm-hmm. Um, he hired on uh, Gary Gaines from SoulCycle. Um, and, uh, you know, his comms director, Andrew Weinstein, comes from Capitol Hill as well. So, he, you know, he worked in New Gingrich. No uh, kidding. Okay. Uh, when he was speaker. Love so, it. yes, close. So there's, a, 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 you know, a, a, you know, tier one, tier one communicator from, from Capitol Hill that, that, you know, went out to, to AOL. And I, I forget he worked uh, somewhere else, um, moved himself more into the tech space. But, you know, understands the basic tenets of how to run comms and how to do right. messaging, et cetera. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, Smart. that's a very different genetic makeup of totally. the leadership team than has ever been at CrossFit before. So, but taking a I page, we'll, taking a page, maybe out of your book though, too. I mean, in that you you look outside and you say, "I know only so much," so let me get the smartest people in the room to help me make sure that it, it, we get it right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great model to follow. I'm looking forward to to all of the changes and all of the adjustments that are coming through. I love it as a sport. Um, in fact, I'm so excited to like watch the games and see what happens. And, you know, we're kind of getting to that point. Um, ordinarily, I ask for a recommendation for a future guest for the podcast. But today, what I really want to hear from you, Justin, is who are you most excited to watch next week in the games? Oh, man, this is tough. There's you know, a lot. It's, it's, I get it. <laughs> it's, well, it's tough for a lot of reasons. One, because I know so many of these people personally mm-hmm. now after several years and there are a lot of returning guests in, in CrossFit. Um, man, I think uh, on the, on the women's side, I think it's, it's, it's Annie Thor's daughter. Um, okay. You're coming off a break year where she, um, took, took a year off from maternity uh, yeah. to, to start a family mm-hmm. with, uh, um, Frederick Gideus and, and they had a, she has a reason had a baby girl, mm-hmm. um, had a very difficult pregnancy, a difficult a delivery yeah. uh, pregnancy was a difficult delivery. She's talked a lot about that mm-hmm. experience about postpartum depression. Um, despite all those things, here um, she is back in the games. I love it. She qualified yeah. in a very difficult field. And, and um, I'm really excited about seeing her compete. Mm-hmm. Um, so like sort of the sub point to that is also Cara Saunders who competed, who also took a year off uh, previous year um, mm-hmm. and had a, and she's uh she's a total light inside of crossfit and just a great personality both of them are yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about both of them in tandem doing this because uh um 
you know, there's a lot of really killer moms on the stage this year. I think it's it's awesome and inspiring to see. I'm so uh, glad you brought that up because that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, doing love it. Amazing kick-ass things. Yeah. Um, gosh, on the med side, like, geez, you don't know. have to you don't have to handicap that race for people who are tuning in just now who don't know a ton about CrossFit. There has been a CrossFit winner for the last five years, and he has retired. So there is a void yes. at the top, and so there are yes. so many yes. fabulous and wicked. Strong and I mean, just intensely competitive situations where it's like Jordan just retired Mm -hmm. and like nobody else has won in a while, and you're like, okay, who's it gonna be? Right? Right. I mean, it's 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 like completely out there. It's open and it's it's wide open. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the Canadian Velner has always been kind of my my pick for like the god. Yeah, he represents just a. Like he's just a general athlete. Yes, and I agree. His general athleticism is really strong. Mm-hmm. He's obviously a wickedly strong guy. Like he, you know, you don't get there without it. But I mean, he is very, very strong. He's a very good gymnast. Um, he excels in running. He's like he's like the guy that's like a four out of five on pretty much everything. All of the things, right? Right. You know, and, and and that's really what actually gets you to the top. And there's a reason why he's had a great career in CrossFit. Um, from his early early days, he stumbled, had a couple stumbles and a few injuries, etc. Happens. Um, it happens. Years, but <laughs> it happens. Yep. And it's a physical. It's a physical sport. Um, Vellner Vellner's a guy I really want to see do extremely well. Um, he has. He absolutely has the ability to do. that. He's shown that over multiple seasons. The ability to do that. Um, he's a guy that I like, and I like him. Too, so. Awesome. Well, I mean, and who, you know, I'm still a fan. They're all winners. I mean, they are all, all are the fittest humans on the planet for, let's face it. I mean, like we follow the sport yeah. to know that they are all the, yeah. I mean, I, I'm impressed by these guys every day, but I'm curious to see who you'll be watching for. And I'll be watching for now, now that I know, uh, Justin LaFranco, it is a treat and a, and a pleasure. And thank you. Thank you so much for giving me so much time right before you head off to cover the, the Olympics, if you will. Uh, I've tried to describe yeah, it that way. Bowl. It's our, our Super Bowl our for Super the Bowl. sport Everyone that we're into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. It's a big show. So um, it'll be a busy week. And um, no, I'm, I'm excited. Have a great week. Thank you. Thanks again to Justin for offering up his time today for the podcast. It's a special and important uh, issue to me specifically. Um, but also, I really wanted to take a minute to say a personal thank you to Adaptation Athletics. CrossFit Lorton, Macros to Muscles Nutrition, Ocean Athletics, and all the other great leaders in the sport of CrossFit. I'd also like to thank you, my listeners, for indulging me in this very special edition of the Friday Reporter podcast. The podcast itself is in partnership with PR Daily, and for those of you in communications, you already know that this is the premier platform for communications best practices. Find us there at prdaily.com and join us next week for another episode. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. 
You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.